With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back to another episode of First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Billy Muzio. Two weeks ago, we had an opportunity to sit down with Josh Larkey of the 33rd team, and we discussed all wide receivers. It was awesome. Highly recommend it, and you go back and listen to that one if you didn't already. It'll get you prepared for all of your drafts, all your dynasty leagues. Really deep dive. Today, we brought in two awesome guests, Matt Schof of Draft Sharks and Dan Williamson of the GOAT District, two guys that I really, really respect and I'm friends with in this industry. Uh, we're going to dive into the tight end position, which is often an overlooked position. I think there's a lot of defeatist mentality. The drafters go in and say, hey, this position doesn't matter. Uh, you know, Everybody's the same, but we're not going to treat it like that. We're going to try to look for some guys that can help you win your league and help you crush their current ADPs. First, I want to welcome in Matt. Uh, Matt, how are you doing today? And why don't you let everybody know about the player profiles that are coming out on DraftShark shortly? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I'm glad the music picked up a little bit because when that, we first hit that intro music, I thought I was going to have to uh, start freestyle rapping. So I'm glad to be off the hook for that. But yeah, uh, so first off, we just dropped a podcast earlier today with the Best Ball Mania draft that we did with uh, Jared and I did with David Zock. So check that one out. But yeah, player profiles are the big thing we're working on. They're going to be hitting DraftSharks.com within the next week. We're all dug in, you know, digging into each separate player, like going through all of the stats that made that guy what he was last year, what could make him what he is this year. You know, it's it's really what what drives every player in our rankings. So those are pretty important. Those are going to be hitting the site very soon and probably altering the rankings from where they are right now, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and uh, shout out to DraftSharks. You guys put out really, really tremendous summer content uh, and we had Jared Smola on earlier, so this is kind of becoming like a like a quasi draft sharksy type <laughs> show. Um, but we're stoked to have you on and talk some tight ends today, Matt. And then my co-host at the Goat District, Dan Williamson, who you know I podcasted. I I, I probably talked to Dan about as much as I talked to my wife. So it's great to have you on First Class Fantasy here, Dan. Uh, and just Dan is is one of the sharpest guys I know uh, for Dynasty, for Best Ball, for Redraft. 
But if I had to pick a particular position that Dan crushes people on its tight ends, it's very difficult to find a better high stakes drafter who evaluates the tight end position as well as Dan. Dan is not afraid to dumpster dive and beat you with late tight ends. And I think he has a really good gauge on the position in Dynasty and in Redraft. And we're thrilled to have you on here today, Dan. Why don't you let everybody know how you're doing today and what you've got coming up at Goat District? Yeah, so one quick housekeeping note. Uh, Theo, your wife asked you to remember that you need to pick up your son <laughs> at 5 o'clock. So. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Yes, no problem. Um, so yeah, so Goat District, we got a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, we're, we're really concentrating right now on um, our Wednesday night appearances on the Pro- Player Profiler Network. Uh, 8 o'clock every Wednesday night, so make sure you tune in then. Um, we've had a lot of great guests. We had uh, Josh Larkey on a couple weeks ago. Mark Garcia, also from uh, the 33rd team, was fantastic. We just had Randy um, DWZ Memphis last night, who's one of the best dynasty guests you'll ever find. So make sure you check out that show, too. And then as uh, you know, the, the, the summer gets into swing, we're going to have a lot more stuff going on other nights on our own network. Right now, we have the Owner's Lounge uh, that we release once a week. Uh, it's just myself and JD talking through Dynasty, various teams that we own, uh, you know, just kind of strategy talk and just trying to figure out how we're going to win our league this year. Uh, yeah, definitely. So of, Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Dan. Yeah, a lot definitely of people really out, been liking that. Definitely check out the Goat District Wednesday nights on the Player Profiler YouTube network, and then make sure you subscribe to Goat District. They're putting out great stuff all summer. Uh, really, really excellent Dynasty stuff as well. And Go District has a guest upcoming, our own Billy Muzio, in the next few weeks as well. So uh, we're going to get a chance to review a draft that Dan, Billy, and I participated in called the Hardway League uh, after we uh, hear from our sponsors. You know, people always ask me, hey, what is the, the World Series of Fantasy or the Super Bowl of Fantasy Football? And it's easy. It's the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. It's a $6 million prize pool. And they've had their never-too-early best ball leagues cranking since February. And so the FFPC is the answer to so many questions. Hey, hey, where's the best place to get a dynasty orphan? Well, you can adopt a dynasty orphan at the FFPC. That's why we partner with them. If you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, seasonal, Best ball dynasty go to the FFPC. And don't forget promo code Underworld to get you $25 off your first team. $25 off your first team, no matter what team it is, no matter what format it is, at the FFPC. Go do it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Matt, Dan, Billy, and myself, we, we love drafting FFPC. And guys, they have a $35 contest right now, a, a super flex best ball tournament. So if you use that code Underworld, you're talking about a $10 entry. Definitely take us up on that one. And Billy, last week we prefaced, uh, we talked a little bit about the hard way draft. Uh, we have Dan in here today. Uh, how did you like the way your draft went? 
and kind of what was what was your build like? It was a little different than normal. Uh, usually, I am in the same boat as Dan. I'll push tight end. I'll push quarterback as well, and kind of load up on receiver and running back early in, inside these drafts. And um, the way the board fell just didn't work out that way. The value wasn't there at the positional players, so we actually took an early tight end. We took an early quarterback as well, and then filled out the roster from there. I liked the team overall. Dan definitely sniped me on Jaden Reed, um, who I was saying to Dave, hey, I think we can take him next round because he goes two rounds later. And this was like right before Dan takes him before us. Um, and uh, so it was a little disheartening because we were going to do a Green Bay stack. But it's uh, overall, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough group of guys. It's a tough draft room. You, I think it's hard to leave the hard way draft in a comfortable spot thinking that you got everything done that you wanted to accomplish uh it's just not a draft room that that happens in and so i think that with the group of guys that we were in i feel confident about the draft that we had um but you never feel great about any drafts inside the hard way yeah it's definitely one of the harder drafts of the entire year um billy you you got you got chris alave so you got to be feeling pretty good you got one of your one of your flag plant guys um i liked your build i also liked what dan did Dan, maybe you could talk a little bit about the team that you built in that draft. Yeah, so I was drafting out of that, the five hole. Um, so I started off with Cup, and then I came back with um, Chubb. And then I went Jalen Hurts as an early quarterback, which a lot of times I don't do. But I think in this format, sometimes it makes a little bit of sense, um, especially with, with the way the rest of my build went. Um, having a strong producer quarterback is definitely going to help me out. And also, I figured I could probably pair him up with Godert, which I did. And then uh, I got Aaron Jones in between those two. And then I just started taking a bunch of pretty much young first and second year players uh, from Jordan Addison uh, all the way down for about eight players. Uh, It's all first and second year players. And then I started filling in a few more veterans again at the end. But just basically trying to to have a nice mix of uh, veterans to get me off to a, a fast enough start. And then the the youth to hopefully take over in the middle of the season and uh, bring it home for me. Yeah, and for me, I had I had thought about all day long that I was going to take AJ Brown at the nine hole, and then a B bag Batoba snipes him uh, at the eight. So I ended <laughs> up with Bijan Robinson, Tony Pollard. One of I don't rarely start running back, running back, but I I like that start. Um, I had to play catch up at wide receiver, but I was pretty pleased to getting DK Metcalf. Took George Kittle. Uh, Drake London, and then I I just swung for upside with George Pickens and Quentin Johnston. I like where I got DeAndre Swift, and I I got Dak Prescott. I keep drafting Dak, so I hope I don't get completely burned on that one. But a couple people said that I sniped him on Dak, so so we'll see. But remains to be seen. It was a tremendous drafting experience, uh, as it is every single year. But today, fellas, we, we're going to hit the tight end position. Okay, Matt and and Dan were brought in for a reason here. I respect both your opinions on tight end immensely. Last year, Draft Sharks told everybody to draft Dallas Goddard when he was a fantastic bargain. You guys were drafting Dallas Goddard ahead of a number of people. You guys did great at tight end. I, I, I can't stress this enough. Draft Sharks every single summer hits on a couple of things really, really correctly. Two summers ago, they gave you Cooper Cup as their comeback player of the year. Had him on all of their draft plans. Cooper Cup won you leagues. That's all we really need to say about that. Draft Sharks is sharp guys. Jared Smola, Matt, you guys are putting out great stuff. So we'll start with Matt on this one. Travis Kelsey is currently going off the board at the 104 in the FFPC 350s. In NFFC, he's a first-round pick as well, which is non-tight end premium. 
Is this the correct valuation? Where are you taking him and why? Well, first of all, thank you for all the kind words. I hope I'm not blushing too much. But uh, I do think it's appropriate to have Travis Kelsey inside round one. I mean, he this time last year, we were like, what's going to happen with Tyreek Hill gone? And the answer was everything is going to happen. Travis Kelsey didn't show any signs of slowing down. He matched his 2021 yards per catch. He increased his receptions per game. He increased his yards per route. He set career highs in catch rate and touchdowns. So, I mean, the guy is awesome. And you can fit like a Jason Kelsey sized thing between Travis Kelsey and the rest of the tight ends. So it's not just that he's the best. There was a big gap between him and the rest of the tight ends last year. So he belongs up there. He can decline this year and still be way ahead of the position. Career high 152 targets last year uh, at age 32. Dan, where, where are you at on Kelsey in terms of like, are you going to have a, a, a bunch of exposure to him this summer in your FFPC builds? Yeah, I, I definitely plan to be at least even weight, hopefully maybe a little bit overweight. Um, I don't mind taking him as early as the 103. Uh, you know, as Matt was saying, you know, the, there's just nobody who scores like Kelsey. Um, and he's only missed two games total over the past five years, which is just incredible for a tight end. They, you know, usually they miss games pretty much like running backs. So, um you know, and generally there's every year there's about four, four and a half tight ends that get over 14 points per game and miss less than three games. Right. So Kelsey definitely fits that. He's fit that all five years. We've had 20 in the past five years. We've had 22 total instances. Kelsey has five of them. Kittle has four. Mark Andrews has four. Waller has two. Zach Ertz has two. Nobody else has more than one. So, I mean, that's that's as close to a cheat code as you can get, um, you know, especially for the top three, Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews. Uh, they're just about automatic. And then you add in the easy stack with Mahomes coming back in the second round, or maybe you can push him around to the third round if you're lucky. You know, that's, that's going to be the most chalky stack in the entire contest, I can guarantee you. But it also could be the stack you have to have to win. So, you know, I think you want to make sure that you can uh, – can have that stack at least once if you're doing several tournament entries. Billy Muzio, you've made a point of taking Travis Kelsey at the 102. You can consider him at the 101 in tight end premium. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, when I did the projections, the rankings, Travis Kelsey actually came out as the 101 in the FFPC scoring uh, based upon replacement value. But it was one of the things to consider is uh, where you can get him in drafts, right? If I put him at the 101, people are going to take him at the 101. And I know that you can get him at the 102, the 103, the 104, maybe even sometimes the 105. And so I think you have to consider diversity and, and you look at ownership when you're building these teams. And I'm comfortable taking him at any of those spots, quite frankly, it depends on how you want to design and build this team. Uh, it's hard to make an argument against him, I mean, outside of age, but he continues to put up numbers. And he had 100 and, 110 receptions last year. It was tied to Stephon Diggs, and he was only behind Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson, all other pass catchers in the league. Uh, he was number eight in receiving yards, if you consider all receivers. The only ones ahead of him were Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, T.D. Lamb, and Jalen Waddle. And so when you consider the receptions boost that you get at tight end premium inside of FFPC, there's a case to be made for him at the 101, in my opinion. Yeah, you were not only getting a tight end one season, you were also yeah. adding like a wide receiver three season at tight end. 
Exactly. It's, yep. it's pretty impressive what he's able to do. And you have to wonder when will he fall off the cliff, right? We know that the Titans age more gracefully. They're more like a fine wine than they are um, in IPA, right? And, and they're going to have uh, a lot longer of a shelf life. And so we need to keep that in mind and that he's tied to arguably probably the best quarterback that I've seen inside the NFL in, in, in years to come. And, and I think that we know that this offense has question marks at the wide receiver position this year in 2023. And so we know that Kelsey is at least set up to repeat these numbers for one more year in 2023. So for me, I, I, I think I'm neutral on Travis Kelsey kind of at his ADP. It's, it's very high up. It was high up last year. I drafted some Kelsey last year. Those teams did very, very well. Um, but I want to poke a hole here. And you guys can tell me if you think it's ridiculous if I'm nitpicking. But if we can all recall, he was like 21 points per game for the first half of the season. He ends at 18.6 points per game. He was tight end one overall um, for the season. Um, But if you look at it from weeks 12 on, he was tight end four over that, that final gap. Is that the sign of a older player losing a little bit of steam? Or is that just sample size and I'm nitpicking there? You, Anybody? You're definitely nitpicking. Okay. All right. I'm definitely. <laughs> I, I, I got three numbers for you, Theo. They are 42.8, 24.3, and 23.1. Do you know what those numbers are? It's playoff fantasy points. Yes, exactly. And he, and he did. And the, you can make <laughs> the same argument from the year before, Dan. Like, like last year, last year, uh, the same thing happened where he was a little bit slow to finish the regular season. And then he goes absolutely nuclear in the in the fantasy playoffs as well. So, you know, I'm just trying to be a devil's advocate because we could sit here praising Travis Kelsey all draft. But the problem with Travis Kelsey is only one player in, in each league gets to draft him. We've got to extract value throughout the rest of the tight ends. And let's start with the tight end two and the tight end three. Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson had a little bit of a convergence earlier in the spring and early best balls. Now it's widening. Mark Andrews is going around pick 18 in tight end premium drafts. TJ Hawkinson, let's call him a mid third round pick. So there's about a round gap between those two guys now, but they are clearly being drafted as the tight end two and the tight end three. Matt, where are you at in terms of Mark Andrews versus TJ Hawkinson? It's very easily Mark Andrews for me. He led all tight ends in target share each of the past two years. Not targets, but target share. He's the only tight end to reach 25% target share each of the past three years. He's been a much better target earner than TJ Hawkinson year over year through their careers. I know Hawkinson came on big time with Minnesota last year. That's still a small sample for now. Mark Andrews has been doing it for years. And career-wise... Mark Andrews is three yards ahead of TJ Hawkinson in career average target depth. So his catches are coming further downfield. He's just been a better player overall. I think the concern that you might want to bring up with Mark Andrews this year is now he's got more target competition than other years. I think they're going to throw the ball a lot more and he can lose some target share and still at least stay the same, if not get better. If that whole offense improves, there's going to be more scoring opportunities. There should be more room for yardage efficiency. So just overall, I'm not worried about what the concern would be for Mark Andrews. I'm buying the long-term production and uh, ability with him and just that offense in general. Yeah, he's such an immense talent. Do you think that the gap is reasonable? Should you say it's easily Mark Andrews? In tight end premium, 
Do you think that's a reasonable gap or do you think Hawkinson should be going a little closer to him? I, it's it's easily Andrews for me because all we've seen is this particular stretch where Hawkinson got a lot of catches. It was a lot of short range stuff. I don't think that it's going to continue like that. I don't think he's going to be as high volume a target as he was over that stretch. I'm just I'm willing to bet that there's some regression on what made him good in that span, which was also boosted by some really big numbers against the Giants. And maybe there was one other game in that stretch, too. I believe He was definitely the giant killer. Both Giants games. He was like the greatest player in the NFL. He's Dan, the Boston Scott of Minnesota. There you go. Same <laughs> same question, Dan. Um, you're in Minnesota. You know, you're really tapped into the Vikings. TJ Hawkinson versus Mark Andrews. And if if you're Mark Andrews, do you think the gap is is where it needs to be? I, I think the gap should be bigger. Um, I'm not going to repeat a lot of what Matt said because he was right on it. Um, but, you know, one thing to keep in mind, too, with Andrews is he produced two seasons over 14 points per game with less than 100 targets, which is not an easy thing to do. He's super efficient. Uh, I don't see him hitting 20 points per game again like he did a couple of years ago. Uh, but, you know, 15 plus points per game, I think, is pretty likely. So I, I'm, I've got him firmly at number two. Um, I actually have somebody else at the number three spot ahead of Hawk, but um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But with, with Hawkinson, yeah, I think uh, the volume is probably going to dial back a little bit. He averaged 8.6 targets a game post-trade. But you dial that back to seven targets a game, it's still 119 targets. Six targets a game, it'd be 102. Uh, we have Jordan Addison coming in, so I think you know definitely some targets are you know going to go to him. The otherwise might have gone to Hawk, but also we lost Adam Thielen, and uh, you know I think some of those targets might come from KJ Osborne too. I'm just curious, Billy, where do you where do you have Hawk on targets? Hawk Sorry, and, and the projection on targets. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. Let me, let me just pull up that division real quick. Um, All right. And I'll preface it. NFC North, Billy I have also... him at, sorry, I have him at um, 21% of the target share, 125 targets. <clears throat> 125 targets. Man, if he hits 125 targets, uh, he, he's going to be just as safe as possible. So, you know, I think, I think 100 plus is definitely a lock. Uh, you know, in the past five seasons, we've had 21 times where tight ends have gotten 100 plus targets. 17 of them have gone over 14 points per game. Is if if you can't tell, fourteen points per game is kind of where I I draw the line between uh you know a a, a good tight end and a you know really elite tight end. So um, Hawk has got the lowest floor of the top four tight ends, but I think he's still super safe. And then Billy, I'll say that you took T.J. Hawkinson in our Hardway draft in the third round, um yeah. and and you took him the three oh four. I thought that was tremendous value where you got him. Uh, maybe your thoughts on this, because you've been Team Hawkinson for a while. Is that, are we still on Hawkinson ahead of Andrews, or are we about even? I was ahead, uh, I was Hawkinson ahead of Andrews prior to the draft. After the draft, the addition of Jordan Addison, that that changed things. It, it simply broke down to the amount of passing volume that we can expect from this team. Uh, to me, they're a top eight team in expected pass attempts. I think I have them projected for a total of 630 pass attempts. And so when we look at this offense, we talk about 21% of the target share. Like I said, that's 125 targets. But there are three other individuals in this offense who are scheduled, at least in my projections, to get over 100, 100 targets. Of course, Justin Jefferson's one of them. The other one is Jordan Addison. And KG Osborne actually comes in pretty close at around 90 just because of the amount of attempts that this offense has uh, in the passing game. We know that they just, you know, released Dalvin Cook today 
And so we can expect some of those targets to be dispersed amongst this offense, whether some of it be the running back position, some of it might be at the receiver position, but that does open up a bit more inside the passing game for others to capitalize. And so I like Hawkinson. He's my number three. I think he's a pretty safe bet to to finish in the top five. Like Dan said, he's got a good floor. Um, I think his ceiling is capped because when you look at like red zone opportunity and we look at target rate in comparison, like Mark Andrews had a target rate of 29%, right? Where, where TJ Hawkinson had a target rate of 23.8%. And so we know that when Andrews on the field, he's going to command those targets. You know, to Matt and Dan's point, they did add some competition in that department, but it's not enough for me to to stray away from Mark Andrews as a top tier tight end. And I think he has the best chance of anyone to surpass Travis Kelsey as the number one tight end. Yeah, so I think that the 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 greatest thing about Mark Andrews is we don't need to like imagine it. We saw the smash season uh, two seasons ago where he averaged uh, 17 points per game in in regular PPR. He was tight end one in points per game in 2021. And last season, like things went really really poorly for that Ravens offense. Went poorly for Andrews with Lamar Jackson missing games. Um, my only thing I will say is. I think that that range where where Mandrews is going in FFPC drafts, it's an opportunity costing where there's so many really outstanding players being drafted right in that middle second round that have kind of league winning potential that that's kind of like my pause for for having Mandrews exposure. If he was going a little bit closer to like the the two three turn, I think I would be in on him a little more than like the mid second. And I will say the opposite is true for Hawkinson where. Hawkinson, I think in his range, it makes a little bit more sense as he's kind of falling into that that mid mid to somewhat late third at times. So I I I, I want to say again, I'm kind of neutral on both guys, but I think I might end up with more Hawkinson just because of the opportunity cost. And I'll say that I I like the idea that Dalvin Cook is gone. It could be a little bit more of a running back by committee than some Alexander Madison people might lead on. And I think there's not like the 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 internal pressure to kind of get the ball to the person you're paying a ton of money to at running back. Um, so I do think that the entire passing offense in Minnesota, which was already attractive, could become a little more attractive. And I think Addison and Hawkinson both have a, the opportunity to beat their projections. And obviously, you know, Justin Jefferson is my one or two in, in any single draft. Want to keep this going. We'll start with Dan on this one. George Kittle and Kyle Pitts are starting to go right off the board as tight end four and five. Is this draft range appropriate for those these two players? And Dan, I, I, I don't even know why I'm asking you this. Which of these two would you rather have in your 2023 builds? I know the answer for this one. Okay, but, but for those at home who are, are not familiar, uh, the answer is not Kyle Pitts. Um, we're going to go with Kittle here. Really, to me, Kittle belongs in the, the Mandrews and Hawkinson conversation, not here. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Kittle, Kittle is too cheap. Pitts is too expensive. Um, I, I have Kittle and Hawkinson flipped, and it's not even really close for that. Um, you know, Kittle is just super efficient. He's, he's got the ability to, to score with even Travis Kelsey. Um, he's hit over 15 points per game every year in the past five years. You know, yes, he's going to miss games and his scoring is a little bit more streaky, but a tight end one 66% of the time is still a very excellent mark. I mean, you're just not going to find that anywhere else. So I think a lot of drafters are really pushing back on Kittle a little bit too hard because he's had a couple injuries over the past couple years. His quarterback situation has been a little bit unsettled. 
But, uh, I mean, he and Purdy really had a nice connection, you know, and you could see that really starting to develop. So if it's if it's Purdy this year, I think Kittle's going to be great. Uh, you know, and the nice thing is if you're, if you're in a managed league, you know, if you don't have Kittle, you know, not to start him, um, if he's injured and other than that, you want him in your lineup. Matt, you had some reservations about my George Kittle selection. So I think I found that the, the, the guy pushing the George Kittle ADP and it's the, it's the draft sharks, but Matt, I'll push back is George Kittle gave us immense, uh, scoring output to end last season. So he ended the season well. What are your reservations? And then how are you on this Pitts versus Kittle decision? Or is it neither? Um, so the reservation I have for George Kittle is that I think he's bound for big touchdown regression. And, you know, maybe it's not all the way back to where he was before, but it definitely down from where he was last year. And I think last year's touchdowns masked a target share dip for him. He was ninth among tight ends in target share last season. And it was even worse when both Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey were in the lineup, he would have ranked 16th with the target share that he had in those games with both of those guys on the field. And if a guy is ranking outside the top 12 in target share at the position, then I'm certainly not uh, hoping for a top six season from him. He did finish second among tight ends in target share in 2021 and in 2020. So, I mean, maybe Kittle rebounds there. I just don't think he's in a good spot to do that, though, with Debo around, with Brandon Ayuk ascending, with Christian McCaffrey around right now. And it's not going to be a pass-happy offense with Brock Purdy as quarterback. So I, I, I can't say everybody needs to avoid George Kittle, but George Kittle, for me, among all these guys in this top six territory, is the one that I'm least interested in. Every once in a while, I'm like, dude, you should probably take a George Kittle here or there just in case. But I haven't really listened to me on that front yet. Take take it another step further. Maybe your thoughts on Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, I, I I have a little bit more optimism for just because of what he has done the past two years. He led tight ends and target share last year when you adjust for games missed. So that was even above what he did as a rookie when he was six at the position, despite Drake London being there. Now, I don't think the quarterback play is going to be good. I don't think they're going to throw the ball a whole lot. So that stops me from being excited about Kyle Pitts. I, I still... I'm very optimistic long-term. I would buy him in Dynasty right now if there's somebody in my league who is out on Kyle Pitts now, which is absurd based on what we've seen so far. But for redraft, I'm just kind of getting some just in case they throw the ball a lot more and he does have this really big reception season or find the end zone a lot more. But otherwise, I'm probably skipping over this group if I didn't take one of the top three. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that were burned by Kyle Pitts last year that are already like, I'm not going to take him. But I think that if you're looking for guys that can potentially be a tight end that could lead their team in targets, that's still in the range of outcomes for Kyle Pitts. And it's that's that's the kind of thing I think we're chasing. So for me, I, I wouldn't say he's a target, but he's a guy that I don't want to not have any of. Right. Um, and I did pivot off. I had a ton in Dynasty. I did pivot off of him a few <clears throat> spots just in case, because I think that if this year he doesn't take that step back to at least his rookie year, then I think there's there's going to be you know him potentially losing a lot of value. We're not going to be too dynasty, but that's half of that is Dan Williamson making you know horrible statements like you know your Kyle Pitts is is Eric Ebron 2.0 and stuff. That's really making me question everything. Um, there's, so, there's so there's so much helium in Pitts that they're gonna he's gonna be a Macy's Thanksgiving Day played for load. He's that's it. I mean you know. <laughs> 
it's like buying a Lamborghini. Use it only in rush hour. It, it, you know, the usage in that offense is just terrible. Uh, you know, 22, I, I think 22 and a half years old, Dan, 22 and a half I, years. old. I, the, the talent is real. There's no doubt about that. But right now, the offensive situation around him just it, it does not allow him to get anywhere near out out of his talent what he ought to be getting. So, you know, you can you can buy speculatively based on that. But, you know, I'd really rather see him down around definitely below Waller, more around uh, Goddard and uh, Friermuth for me. You know, I think he's going to see 100 targets, though, so you can't drop him too far. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. I have, I have a lot of concerns with that offense, and especially with Bijan in there. I mean, you know, that's just another mouth to feed. Billy, talk about, are you going to be drafting these two guys in the fourth round? You are Kittle ahead of Pitts. Talk about the situation I, here. Yeah, when you mentioned Pitts, I actually started eating my Belveda uh, cookie <laughs> cracker because we noticed. I had to think of something. I had to think of something good because Pitts just doesn't do it for me. But we have for easily for me Kittle ahead of Pitts. But I think Matt said the most important thing out of the entire discussion was that if I'm missing on the top three, I'm most likely passing on this tier um, just because. Between the, the fantasy points, at least the projected fantasy points between Kittle and someone like Fryermuth is not significant enough for me to go four or five rounds earlier in drafts. And especially when you look at Pitts and Dan talked to this point already, this offense just doesn't have the volume to support him. And so I'm really getting to a point where I'm going to scream because people want Drake London to be a thing. They're drafting Bijan Robinson as RB2 and they're saying he's going to get 100 targets, which is false. But they're also thinking that Kyle Pitts is going to get 100 targets. And so something has to give. This offense is the lowest expected pass rate offense in the NFL. I have them projected for 498 pass attempts, which is actually about 30 more than what we would expect if Desmond Ritter continued on his five-game streak last year. That number would be more in the 479 Did, range. Didn't Brady have more completions than that last year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not pretty, but bottom line is that something has to give. You can't expect all three of these guys to smash at the position. Bijan Robinson is not going to get 20, 25% of the target rate shares with people thinking. They're saying 100 targets. You're not going to get Drake London, who's going to have 150 targets. You're not going to get Pitts out here with 120 targets. One of, if not two of these, will bust based upon the amount of volume that is in this offense. And I have to say, the way that they utilize Kyle Pitts in this offense, they run him out wide like an X receiver when he is a tight end. And they should move him in line to create mismatches against the linebackers, and they have yet to do so. If they did that, I'd be a lot more bullish on Pitts. But because they continue to use him like an X receiver and not a tight end, I, I, can't, I can't get on board with it along with the low pass rate. So I'm out on Kyle Pitts. And I think this conversation, honestly, we should have been talking about Kyle Pitts versus Darren Waller or Kyle Pitts versus Evan Ingram or Kyle Pitts versus Pat Fryermuth because that's more of the tier I have him in. Well, it's a good thing we don't have to do that, Billy, because <laughs> you're going to get those guys a little bit later. And we do need to talk about one tight end uh, ADP battle right now is Dallas Goddard versus Darren Waller. And I, about six weeks ago, that wasn't a conversation we needed to have. Uh, Dallas Goddard was going slightly higher and Darren Waller was going slightly lower. It's becoming more and more apparent that Darren Waller will be the leading, at least uh, scheme wise, Darren Waller will be the target leader for the New York Giants. I think that's the plan is to feature him and use him more than their wide receivers in terms of total targets. Uh, there's also the contingent value if Saquon Bar Barkley has any, any type of a holdout. So Darren Waller, I think drafters are, are getting really excited about. 
And Dallas Goddard, I don't think it's a unexcited thing. I think it's just a matter of guys kind of leaping him a little bit in ADP. Both of these guys are available to you in the fifth round. Matt, which of these two do you prefer? I, I'm taking both of them. I, I prefer um, Darren Waller if I have to pick one of them, especially if we're playing four receptions. I think he's a sneaky bet, relatively sneaky bet, to lead the entire position in target share. And the Giants aren't going to be the most pass-happy team anywhere, but they were mid-pack in neutral pass rate last year, even though they had absolutely no business being there. I mean, their reception leaders were Saquon Barkley and Richie James tied with 57 catches. They had Richie James and Darius Slayton, the only guys that reached 400 receiving yards, and yet they were mid-pack in the NFL in neutral situation pass rate. If we look at Brian Dabble's last team, the 2021 Bills, they were the past heaviest offense in the league. So there's room for the Giants to throw the ball a bit more this year. Clearly, they traded for Darren Waller looking for a passing game weapon. He looks to me like the clear top bet to lead that team in targets. So I think as long as he stays healthy and last year when he was healthy, he still led tight ends in average target depth. So he can still get downfield. He can still play. He's in a spot where they want him to be a big time weapon. I'm drafting a lot of Darren Waller right now. And then your thoughts on Dallas Goddard, a guy who you guys were drafting a lot of last year when he was going several rounds later, you bring up Darren Waller as the number one target. Is that the problem with Dallas Goddard is the the target monsters at wide receiver and A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith? It's certainly not the talent. Yeah, and I wouldn't even call it a problem with him. It's just I think Darren Waller has a higher PPR or tight end premium ceiling than Dallas Goddard for that reason. He hasn't been a huge touchdown producer. I'm not too worried about that. I think that, you know, we can always see that uh, coming up, especially in an offense that's going to score a whole lot. His ADOT was down a little bit last year versus the previous two years, so maybe there's some rebound potential in that. But it's really just, if you look at the entire picture, I don't think that the target ceiling on Dallas Goddard is as high as it is with Darren Waller. Dan, anything to add? Are you on that same train with the with Waller ahead of Goddard, or do you have a different idea here? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I, I have to tell on myself, because in the hard way, I took Goddard over Waller, but the reason why I did that was because I had hurt. So... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I was going for the correlation there, but honestly, drafting Dallas Goddard is like walking into, you know, Cold Stone Creamery or something, walking out with a bowl of plain vanilla ice cream. It's just, you know, it's not exciting. He's definitely got some, at least some like crushed up Reese's Pieces in there. Yeah, something. come on, Dan, yeah, give him a little maybe, credit. He's like one topping, one topping, one topping, one topping, tops. But yeah, he's, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, he's a very unexciting pick. And especially when you look at some of the other players at other positions, you can get in that same range. So Waller, I think really it just comes down to, you know, do you do you think that uh, he is injury prone or not? You know, if you believe in things like being injury prone and that he's too old and uh, doesn't take care of himself or whatever, um, you're probably going to want Goddard over Waller. But uh, Waller, I think, definitely has the upside here. He's the guy that I would look to. You know, uh, Goddard doesn't have he has only one season of 14 plus points per game. Waller has three. He was injured. uh, Um for like five or six games, one of those seasons. So it was a partial season, but still every game he played, it was over 14 points a game. So uh, with Godert projecting as the third target in the offense, Waller projecting as the, the top target, I'm I'm going to roll the dice a lot more on Waller than I am on Goddard. Billy, your thoughts on Waller and, and Goddard? Yeah, I'm... The thing is, I like the offense better in Philadelphia, and I think this is where it kind of balances each other out because I I think that 
Waller will lead his team in targets um, pretty easily. I, I think target share, target rate, everything. The problem is, is that I just think Philly's offense is a lot more explosive, so we'll probably see more red zone attempts, we'll see some more efficient touches. And so I do have Goddard slightly ahead of Waller, um, but I could see a scenario where Waller you know, is back into the top three in terms of, of fantasy points. There's a scenario in which that exists. I'm curious for you, Matt, where do you, in your projections, do you have the total targets for Darren Waller? Um, I honestly don't Sorry to put you on the spot. You don't have these things memorized, Matt? <laughs> I could try to look it up, but... <laughs> yeah, you, we can come back to it. I, just, I was curious, because I have him... I am for 19% of the target share, which is 105 targets, and he's, he hasn't eclipsed 100 since 2020, and so it is, I think, a bit bullish, but when you look at the rest of the receiving options... Right. We have Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, Wondell Robinson, Darius Slayton, you know, Jalen Hyatt. There's a there's a lot of misfits here and a lot mm. of places in which Waller is, is is set up to succeed. And so we're talking about, you know, seven, eight, ten, eleven kind of mixed around all these guys to where it's a real possibility that we could see Darren Waller closer to, you know, twenty percent, twenty one percent, which would be kind of his, you know, third or his second highest of his career. But it is, you know, slightly concerning to put him that high when you see what he's done in the past. Yeah, it's it to me. It's interesting. I, I love both of these guys in the fifth round because wide receiver falls off. We see, like, you know, the wide it not it's not wide receiver is not dead, but it's it's less exciting than it is around ahead. Uh, you know, certainly in the third and fourth round, wide receivers, and then running back starts getting a little bit more dead zoney. And now we don't know where Dalvin Cook is going to end up. So he was one of those guys kind of in this range, too. So I really like taking shots on Goddard and Waller. I think it's a tear break after these two guys. Uh, Goddard, tremendous talent. Uh, Dan, I disagree with the vanilla. He could be like plain cookies and cream, something like that. <laughs> um, but he's 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 a beast. And also he has an opportunity to play in maybe the best offense in in the entire NFL this year. If that defense takes a step back, that offense is going to be in potential better game scripts and they could go absolutely nuclear. So I think it's a matter of even though he's the number three target, the pie grows larger type theory. And then Waller, it's funny, I keep coming back to the Stefan Diggs when he ended up in Buffalo, was going in the sixth round, goes to a Brian Dable offense. Dable, folk, uh, you know, features the hell out of him and he smashes leagues. I don't think it's quite that with Darren Waller. But I think that the whole notion that tight ends haven't really thrived under Dable, you know, we haven't seen it yet. I think that kind of goes out the window because they're going to move Darren Waller all over that offense. They're going to find mismatches. Uh, He's in a great, great spot. They really need him to be good for New York to take a step forward as a team. So I think that he'll end up doing very well. So I'm in on both those guys in the uh, in the fifth round. We 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 start to see a little bit of a a drop um, after the top seven. Evan Engram is is the next tight end coming off the board. He goes uh, significantly later than these guys. He ended last season on an absolute tear. He finished tight end five for the season, but he was the tight end two overall from week 12 on. Uh, He helped people win their leagues. Dan, we'll start with you. Are drafters too high, too low, or just about right on Evan Engram as tight end eight overall? Yeah, see, this is where, you know, really you have to look at every season as a, you know, kind of a discrete entity. And um, his situation last season was different than what it looks like his situation is going to be this season. Last season, he was definitely a top two target on the team. 
and you know it was basically uh, you know him and Kirk, and then a lot of the other and uh, Zay Jones, and then pretty much you know a little bit of Marvin Jones, a little bit of running backs, that kind of thing. But you know he was able to get the second most targets on the team. Now we're looking at we've got Calvin Ridley in there, which is probably going to bump him down to third. That makes it a little bit tougher. You know, the path is tougher to get there. So he's on an ascending offense. That definitely helps. But, you know, I'd really rather not see that much competition for somebody I'm drafting this high. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather take one of the guys earlier or take one of the guys later. It's just hard for me to grab Ingram right now at his price. Billy, your I've, thoughts on Ingram? Dan said it perfectly, I think. There's, there's not a lot that I can say against that the only thing i could add is that he's playing for another contract and and he's going to be wanting to repeat those numbers but to dan's point they have a lot of competition now in inside and they are probably going to be looking at spreading this ball around and so um, when you consider adp pat firemuth i like more i'd even would like to take a chance on dalton schultz who's potentially going to lead that team in target rate and target share as well um you can make a case for david njoku you can make a case for you know, Chigo here as well. And so there's, I just would rather take the, the cheaper tight end and, and shoot for upside. Yeah. He was drafted around tight end 18 last year. Now he's getting drafted tight end eight. And a lot of times when you see these, this sort of range, you see a light, a lot of ADP failure from the tight end position. Uh, just historically, it's like either draft them early or draft them a little bit late. You'll be, you'll be like your builds a little bit more. Um, and the Ridley thing kind of scares me a little bit, uh, to say the least, when it comes to Ingram, because he was so targeted down the stretch. Matt, your thoughts on Ingram? Yeah, I was big on Evan Ingram last year for the ADP that you just mentioned. I, he was probably my most drafted best ball tight end last year. Um, and then he delivered for us from there, but people have reacted to that. And like you said, I, I think he's getting drafted a little bit too high now. Um, he did have that hot stretch at the end of the season. Even within that, there was one game week 14 against Tennessee that accounted for 22.4% of his total PPR points for the season. He finished 14th among all tight ends in target share for the year. So that's a lot different than finishing top five in fantasy points. Shows you some regression potential in there. He was solidly behind Christian Kirk and Zay Jones in targets last year. And, you know, like you guys have mentioned, now Calvin Ridley is in place as well. So you know, I don't want to be completely out on Evan Ingram because I like the offense, but I am not drafting him very much. So we touched on Mandrews, and it seems like the AFC North is kind of getting to be a potential shootout conference. I think that the the offensive the play is going to be surprisingly good this year. Uh, Cincinnati and Baltimore are what they are. Pittsburgh and Cleveland offenses could both take a step forward. And we're seeing David Njoku and uh, Pat Fryermuth both being drafted in the eighth round. Uh, Dan Williamson, uh, they have virtually identical ADPs. They're, or excuse me, they're about the same ADP. But what are your thoughts on both these guys in the eighth round? Do you think that there are discounts here, or do you think this is very much the tight end dead zone? Yeah, I kind of think it's a tight end dead zone because, you know, as, to your point, Theo, earlier, um, it's tough to take tight ends in this range because unless you're talking about the very elite tight ends that we were talking about early in the show, tight end is very much of a year to year proposition, you know, really based on, uh, you know, how the, how things happen around them, how the offenses are designed, what kind of, uh, you know, what the wide receiver situation is, everything else, you know, tight ends are kind of those guys who fill in the cracks in a lot of offenses. 
<clears throat> so you need you need a special set of circumstances. And if those don't exist the next year, you know, you you keep drafting a guy a year too late and you don't want to do that. So we have that with uh, Ingram. I think with Fryermuth, you can still kind of talk your way into that. He might have a, a path to top two volume on his team and targets. So, you know, for that reason alone, I would take Muth over Ingram. But um, this is an offense that definitely has some work to do. There are a lot of people who are very bullish on Pittsburgh. They think they're going to put it all together. I'm a little bit more neutral on it. But also, I think, you know, with Pickens, uh, we're not quite sure what we have there either. And we do kind of have a better idea of what we have with Muth. So I, I would take him there. And Joku, I see as having a lot more competition with uh with Elijah Moore now on board. Uh, you know, I think that was a very savvy pickup by Cleveland. We still have to see how this offense all, you know, works together. It was kind of hard to tell because Deshaun Watson looked terrible last year. We don't expect that for this year, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in this offense. So I think Njoku still has a decent floor, but his ceiling, it's, it's harder for me to see. Uh, last year he was finally on a hundred target pace, which would be the first time in his career. Um, but that's that's going to be hard for him to exceed, you know. So I don't see Njoku as somebody who has league wing upside, uh, but he's a he's a pretty safe player. Matt, your thoughts on these two guys? Yeah, similar thoughts on on both of these guys. Um, just to kind of answer Billy's question from earlier, we have Darren Waller projected sixth among tight ends in targets at fifteen games played, so he's in that eighteen to twenty percent target share range. We have Pat Fryermuth right above him at fifth in targets right now. And I think that's the upside with him is he does have a path to being top two on that team in targets. I'm not bullish on the Steelers, but they're bound for positive regression versus what they did last year, just because they scored so little, you know, despite not being, you know, dog food, like they were, they were okay. And they just didn't score any touchdowns. They're going to score some more this year. So there's some more coming. I like Pat Fryermuth. I like David Njoku. I don't love either of them because I think both offenses, even though they both should be better than they were last year, I think there's some limited ceilings here, both on target share, target totals, and unless either player has TD luck. And I'm not sure I'm ready to bet big time on either of them getting close to 10 touchdowns. Yeah, so for me, I I prefer Muth here than I do Njoku. I think that the Elijah Moore addition. I think that the Cedric Tillman addition, I think that they're going to be targeting their wide receivers uh, in Cleveland. Um, Fryermuth is interesting because he did get about 20 more targets than he did as a rookie. So he saw an increased role. You bring up the fact that he had seven touchdowns as a rookie and then two touchdowns in his second season. So last year, if he would have just hit that seven touchdown mark um, and it was flipped around, I think people would have been thrilled about him. But I think there's a couple of stylistic uh, concerns with Pittsburgh. Najee Harris was not really targeted last year like he was the previous season. His targets went way down. I think he was not in the 90s and then the 50s. It was a significant drop in the first year without Big Ben. So if they, I think that a little self-scouting would be trying to get the ball in Najee Harris and, and, and Jalen Warren, for that matter, hands out of the backfield. And then George Pickens is kind of the X factor because you know Deontay Johnson's going to get his 140 if Pickens picks up a significant amount of targets, then that also is challenging for Muth. So Firemuth, I think, is more of a purgatory player in this range. I don't think he's going to lose your draft, but I don't think he's necessarily going to win it for you. I think Najoku has a little bit more of a range of of really not hitting here. Uh, Billy, what are your thoughts on, on Njoku versus Muth? 
Yeah, I agree with Dan said. I think the joke is upside is just capped now with Elijah Moore. They're going to be running a lot of those uh, underneath routes, intermediate routes, and I think that it's something that you need to at least consider when you're looking to draft him. Uh, I do like Pat, Pat Fryermuth, and I think I'm a little bit more bullish on the Steelers this year than maybe the average analyst. Um, I just like what they did in the draft. You know, they go out and get Broderick Jones off as a tackle in round one. Uh, they strengthen their defense. They come back around again, and they get Darnell Washington, who's a blocking tight end in, in the third round. Uh, they come back around at the end of the draft and get another offensive lineman. So they really attack the line hard, which is going to give Pickett more time to throw. It's going to give Najee some space to run. I think we'll see a little bit more balanced of attack this year. Um, and I do think that we'll see 600-plus attempts inside the passing game. And so when we look at the overall uh, share of the pie, right, so I have – I have Pittsburgh for 601 to be exact on pass attempts. And so when we look at the pie, 601, and I have projections over Pat Fryer moved at 16.5% target share, that's 99.3 targets. So when we talked about earlier, and we, and, and we talked about Darren Waller leading his team in targets at 105, 110, like that's just the difference of the passing volume inside offenses that are expected to pass more versus offenses that are expected to run more. And so I think that we do see a boost inside the targets again for Pat Frymuth. Not a huge jump from last year because what you said he had 98, so probably around the same actually. But it's going to be at least close to 100 targets, which is what you want from a tight end um, in order for it to kind of you know gain an edge at the position. Um, and there's not a lot of people who you can say that that are going to probably be near 100 targets at the position. Shout out to our boy, Jason Allwine, for a very clever nickname for Pat Fryer with Pat Fryer mid. Don't necessarily agree with it, but Jason, very creative. Um, okay, guys, here's the yeah, fun well, one. Real quick, you. do we know how the timeouts work here in YouTube? Because this comment with Jason, um, I want to put him in a timeout. There's a timeout button, but I don't well, know how long it lasts. We can, we, can, we, can, we can ban him. We can ban him. We are considered to be banned right now, Jay, Jason. You're, you're on a you're, thin you're, line with you're, Billy Muzio. You're, you're in a fire with high, hive right now. So, you know. Uh, that's just Honestly, ice cold, man. That's just like. That, oh, that one almost made me leave the pod, too. I was like, wait a second. This is what we're dealing with. I'm out of here. He clarified, guys. He clarified at ADP. At ADP. We're going to get to know. Irv Smith. We're gonna to get to Irv Smith, but we have a, we have a fun one. A fun. He clarified one. again <clears throat> at ADP and on drugs. There it is. There, yes. it is. there you go. Okay. There you go. Here's a fun one. Here's a fun one. I'm getting ready to be attacked by three three guys at the same time. <laughs> Who scores more points this year, guys? This is the two summer risers. We can all agree. Uh, Shiga Konkwo and Dalton Kincaid. They're going side by side as tight end 11 and tight end 12. One is a second year player who was a fourth round pick. One is a first year player who was a first round pick. One is in a fantastic offense and one is in a, you know, an offense with question marks to, to say it kindly. Who scores more points this season? Start with Matt. If I'm picking between only these two, it's Chigakonkwo for me. But this is honestly the group that I would skip over the most of any that we've talked about so far. And I just the problem is the ceiling versus where they're going in ADP. I would like either of these guys at tight end 15 or 16, but at tight end 11 and 12, like how much higher than that is the ceiling on either player? I know that we want Dalton Kincaid to be the new slot receiver in Buffalo. I believe that actually happening when I see it. Until then, Dawson Knox is still getting paid a whole bunch of money. He's there. They do still have Khalil Shakir. They do still have other wide receivers. I just don't know just how many targets Kincaid gets. And then Chigakonkwo, 
I know the the rate stuff that makes him attractive. I'm not sure how many targets go the way of a 6'2", 240-pound tight end. And my concern is that they're the tight end that played for them the most last year played 55% of the snaps. I was Jeff Swaim. I don't know if they want a tight end to play more than that. We've been through this with Johnny Smith in Tennessee before where we said, look how this guy did on this many. We just need to give him, you know, 30% more targets. He's going to explode. You know, maybe. I just don't think there's explosive potential here. It's, it's again, we keep bringing up tight end dead zones. And like, if you would have gone the last 10 years and just avoided drafting tight end 11 and tight end 12, you're probably going to be pretty pleased with that. This was like the Albert Oquid Boonham, uh, you know, tier. This is oftentimes a tight end who maybe had a, had a positive, you know, positive touchdown scoring the year before, like a, like a Dawson Knox last year or Robert Tunyon the year before they end up in this range. But it's interesting because these guys are both so young. We saw Chigakonkwo do some really special things and like metric wise in a small sample size. And, and I do believe in Dalton Kincaid. I will say when the rubber hits the road and I'm drafting in the really, really high stakes uh, FFPC drafts, the end of the summer, I probably won't be drafting either one of these guys, but I do think Dalton Kincaid outscores him this season. I'm going to say that for the record. I think that they want Dalton Kincaid to be a thing. And I think that that Buffalo offense is going to score enough points that Kincaid's going to be utilized enough that he's going to make an instant impact. I have a ton of him in Dynasty. I'm trying to talk him into reality as much as anything. Billy, your thoughts on, on Chikakonkwo versus Dalton Kincaid. Which one scores more points? And I can, I can go ahead and guess your answer. Yeah, go ahead and guess it. It's Chikakonkwo. We just took him together in our best ball build. <laughs> yeah, it's, and I, I think that you're probably right. Dalton Kincaid scores him if you combine his rookie year and his sophomore year. Just, just because... Rookie tight ends don't see the field as much as we would like them to. There are exceptions to this rule, but they are having to learn blocking schemes. They're having to learn route schemes. It takes time for them to develop in the NFL. I think Dalton Kincaid will not be used as a blocker. I think that that's can be safe. So we'll probably see him utilized a lot more as a receiver, but that limits his the amount of times he's going to be on the field and snaps. And so overall, you still want the repetition that snaps, whether you're blocking or you're running routes. And for him to be limited to just one position will limit his upside of being on the field, especially when you have uh, situations where you don't want to telegraph what you're doing. And so I think that Dalton Kincaid upside is captain year one. I still think they're going to get the other pieces involved. And I do think that he makes a splash as a rookie, but I just don't think it's going to be as a top 15 tight end. Um, I definitely think that he has the talent, but it's going to be more of a 2024 play for me. Chig, I can't say his last name. So I'm just going to call him Chigo. So Chigo for me, is as a real chance, and quite frankly, has a chance of potentially seeing up to maybe a 20% target share in this offense. I don't think it happens. I haven't projected for 16.5%. What that means is is another story because this is the second lowest pass rate offense in the NFL, at least projected for 2023. But still, at 16.5, that still gives him about 83 targets. I think we can all agree that Traylon Burks is the hands-down number one in this offense. But then from there, you have a bunch of uh, just misfits. Chris Moore, Nick Westbrook-Akeen, Kyle Phillips, Chris Conley, Colton Dole. I I mean, that's it. Derrick Henry is going to have to be more involved in the passing game again because we have to see this pie distributed somehow. And as of right now, Shago Conquo is the number two option on on that offense. Dan Williamson. Yeah, so Okonkwo, I mean, you know, tight ends like this, they're they're kind of catnip for us, you know, because you get that 
super high efficiency but low targets the previous year and then the next year you 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 know you can kind of squint you can see your way to hey they could be the you know second most on the team in targets and you know it and then all of a sudden your imagination starts running away with you and i think there's a couple things that give me pause number one is a lot of oconquo's uh targets came when trailline burks was out and so you know i hopefully that's not the case this year and also, if they do do something like uh, hiring or uh, getting uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Okonkwo is just getting nerfed right there. So, uh, you know, there are some there's some pretty big, um, I, I guess, roadblocks for him to get over. And um, the other thing with Okonkwo is, you know, as, as Matt said, you know, the snap share was what, 55 percent? Did you say, Matt? Yeah. Was that yeah. you? Okay. Yeah, 50, you know, 55%. And we have seen this as a pattern in that offense. So, you know, it, it's tough to go against a pattern like that. So it makes you wonder about all those kind of things. So, and then Kincaid, hey, he's got to prove he can earn talent targets on a talented offense. That's a tough thing to do, you know, to walk into an offense. It's basically uh, playoff ready and everything else. Um, you know, there's definitely a need for somebody who can step into that slot role. And if he can fill that slot role, you know, if he can go into it like, uh, like Miami used Gasecki for a couple of years and be pretty much just that slot receiver. And we don't care about blocking. We're going to just send you out in a pattern every single uh, snap that we drop back to pass. Then maybe, you know, but again, he's a rookie. It's tough to to bet on these guys. So <clears throat> end of the day, I don't love either one. I'll, I'll say Kincaid, but again, he's got it. I think there are just fewer barriers for him. Interesting guy at going off the board at tight end 13 is Dalton Schultz. Uh, he finds himself in like a, de- a less desirable offense in the state of Texas, but one where he could potentially be the number one target if it all kind of falls well. Is he underrated right now, Matt? Uh, do, are you in on, on, on Dalton Schultz at tight end 13? Uh, I'm not. I could be wrong on him. I think he's properly rated here. He's been somebody that I've been skipping over for best ball purposes because I just don't think the upside's there. He's strictly a volume player. It's all on target volume here. Houston is definitely a downgrade in offense. Now, that could mean an upgrade for him in target share. Obviously, he's leaving a team that had CeeDee Lamb. Before that, it also had Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. So, you know, maybe we get career high target share for Dalton Schultz here. But We all know. I mean, it's everything is new there. So we don't really know how he's going to fit in. We don't know if he's going to get that kind of boost. It's likely a downgrade in efficiency, both, you know, catch rate, scoring efficiency. So for me, there's just not enough upside to chase the unknown here. And I know he's getting a decent one year salary from them, but it's also just a one year contract. He hit the open market a year after being franchised and the whole league was like, eh, Houston can have you for one year. And he's like 26. So it's not like this is an over-the-hill tight end. This is a guy that's in his prime, and the whole league just shrugged when he hit the market. So that's what I do when I see him in the draft room, too. Yeah, he was a guy that I avoided drafting last year, and this year, I don't know. I I, I, I should probably talk myself out of Dalton Schultz because, again, this is not a range where these guys usually really, really crush ADP. But I do think he has a path to being like a preferred target with a rookie behind center. Dan, your thoughts on Dalton Schultz? Yeah, I'm pretty much out on him here. Um, you know, Dak just looked Schultz's way no matter what all the time. We we have no guarantee that that's what's going to happen in Houston. 
Um, he, he really is an uninspiring player in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, I tend to be one of those guys that, you know, when, when everybody starts just hating on a player, I'm like, you know, there might be something to like here, but, uh, I just can't get there with Schultz. Um, uh, I, I would probably just, I, I don't really want to roster either of these guys, but I would probably just roster Komet instead. Um, I think Komet has still a shot for the second most targets on the team, depending on what happens with, uh, with Claypool, um, you know, Darnell Mooney, um, you know, Komet, Komet definitely fills a role on that team. And I think, you know, he's definitely a, a player that I think is, uh, you know, more talented, uh, got more juice, everything else. So I, you know, if I'm being forced to bet, I'm going to bet on the guy with more juice. Billy, your thoughts on Schultz? I guess I'm on an island here. I will lean Schultz just because of the volume play. Matt said it perfectly. It is 100% of volume play. It's not anything to do about the talent or the player. Um, for me, it's I want somebody who I think, and I think you mentioned this in one of our first couple podcasts, Theo, on First Class Fantasy, is we want tight ends that could potentially be the number one option in the passing game for that offense or the number two option in the passing game for that offense. And there is a real scenario for either of those with Dalton Schultz inside of Houston. Uh, we do expect this offense to be bad. We do expect them to be playing from behind, which is good for the passing game. It's good garbage time numbers for Dalton Schultz. I have projected for 93 targets in this offense, which is 16% of the target share. That's actually uh, just slightly ahead of Nico Collins, just slightly ahead of John Mechie. Um, and you mentioned the inexperience at the quarterback position. When we do see uh, C.J. Stroud in the field, an inexperienced quarterback usually favors two positions. It's the slot receiver and the tight end. And we can expect to see that here with Schultz. So I think we got one year of of kind of taking advantage of the ADP and and on on Schultz. And depending upon where he lands next, it's going to be a whole nother story and a whole nother adventure. Um, but as of right now, we can expect him to at least be number one or two in target target share for for the Houston Texans. Let me just so jump guys, in real quick to say that's that's very similar to why I like taking Robert Woods at the very end of drafts because yep. he's going at a no risk level and I think that he could be what Dalton Schultz is in that scenario for this Houston team. There's definitely going to be somebody on Houston who people are going to say, "Oh, I could have taken him super late," and look, he, he ends up having a weekly role. It's yeah. it's not going to be interesting. John Mechie, mm-hmm. or it could be yeah. Tank Dell. It could be Tank Dell, guys. Um, guys, so I want to. I want to. I'm sorry, Dan. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say. You know, to me, you know, targets are kind of attracted to talent. Um, there's there's sort of a natural magnetism to it. it. Schultz just doesn't have that magnetism, and a lot of times, you know, we we like to assign targets to players just because. Well, who else is going to take them? And anytime I find myself assigning targets to a player and saying, "Who else is going to take it?" I start shying away from that player because a lot of times I find out, oh, there is somebody else on this team that I didn't think was that talented or they didn't think was that talented or they'll just bring somebody in who is more talented. So I, I, I just have a hard time with, with players like Schultz. I just can't get on board if they don't have the talent to really earn and keep those targets. I love that answer, Dan. Guys, we got to go rapid fire for these next few so we can squeeze them in. Uh, right now, the end, the end of the tenth round and the eleventh round are as a tight end cleanup round in FFPC drafts. Uh, I think in this range, we really want to chase upside. Who has the best possible season in their range of outcomes among these guys? Greg Dulcich, Cole Komet, Tyler Higby, Sam Laporta, 
and Jawan Johnson. There's five guys going in this range. I'll say it one more time. Greg Dulcich, Cole Komet, Tyler Higby, Sam Laporta, Jawan Johnson. If you could pick one of these guys, Matt. Greg Dulcich first, because I think he's the best player. Fourth among tight ends in slot rate last year. Behind only Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely, and Logan Thomas. Second among tight ends in ADOT. Behind only Kyle Pitts. 17.6 yards per catch in his college career. And now even Sean Payton's like, oh, you know what? He's really good. I'm going to make him something called a joker, which we'll see exactly what that means. I love the joker position. It's just like we can galaxy brain anybody getting a bunch of targets. I love that. Dan, you're, you're, uh, you're picking this range, and is it Tyler Higby? I, I just want to know who the smoker and the midnight toker are um, if, if Dulcich is the joker. Samaj P. Ryan and Jerry Judy. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Uh, so all of you who have never heard of Steve Miller band, um, go <laughs> <Yeah>. look it up. <laughs> I, 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 I'm with you guys on Dulcich here, uh, but I'm, I'm going to put in a commercial for Higby uh, because I think he's a great value as well. He's put up 10 to 13 points per game each of the past four years. He hasn't missed more than two games in that span. He's never gotten more than five TDs, which means, you know, there there probably is some potential for him to do better. I think he's got a reasonable path on this team to second in targets. I mean, basically, it's Cooper Cup and then, what, Van Jefferson? Who else is going to get more targets than Higby? Um, you know, you give him 100 targets on a team that should be trailing a lot. If Stafford's healthy, sign me up. That's an easy smash. That's a nice... Uh, you know, he's, he's been a, a tight end one or a tight end two, a nice 69% of his weeks over the past two years. And 41% of that time, he's been tight end one. So, I mean, Higby's one of those guys that's just, he's a little bit better than you think. He's very unexciting because he doesn't have that, you know, he's not going to score you 25 points or whatever in a given week, but he'll get you 10 to 13 points an awful lot. Billy, your pick of these guys in this range of these five tight ends. Ditto what both of them said because I double tap these guys all the time. Like you just wait at tight end position, you come back around, you double tap these guys. One of these guys will finish as a tight end one this year. Uh, it's just a matter of of picking who it's going to be. They both have an opportunity to excel in the offenses. They both have an opportunity uh, to really surpass ADP and expectations. And so I just find myself always double tapping these two. Yeah, and I think that's why you listen to First Class Fantasy. I think Billy just nailed it. If you wait to this 10th, 11th range and you double tap those guys, I think, like, you know, there's no reason for you to take the Fryermuth and Joku, Kincaid, Okonkwo tier when these guys are available to you. Maybe it tightens up during the summer, but this is definitely an attractive range. Rapid fire, guys. Uh, the two tight ends that are in very, very good offenses uh, with very, very good quarterbacks are going tight end 19 and tight end 20. Matt, if you could pick between Irv Smith and Gerald Everett, which way are you going? Well, Irv Pass, Smith went off the ahead. board to Jason at like the one yeah. at yeah, tight end eight. Yeah, he <laughs> took him instead of George Kittle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a total pass for me unless I have Justin Herbert. Then I'll take Gerald Everett. Otherwise, I'm passing these guys. I don't see why either is better than Tyler Conklin or Dawson Knox. If and you I have, if you have Joe, if you have Joe Burrow, are you interested at all in that? It, so I mean, that's the only time that I am kind of, but even then it's like, I might as well take Irv Smith so that I don't have zero Irv Smith, but I'm not looking for him. So Matt is a stack or no thank you. Dan Williamson, which one, Irv or Gerald Everett? Or That, that was exactly what I said about Irv Smith. <laughs> Just a correlation play, nothing else. He sucks. He can't stay healthy. He's got nothing but straight line speed. And when you're a tight end, you need to have some agility too. So 
that's not a recipe for a quality sleeper there at all. I'd, I'd much rather have Everett between the two. He's more athletic, but definitely some concerns about his work ethic and conditioning and all that. If that dude had a motor, man, he'd be a star. But there is a, a path to targets for him, so I would take him over Irv Smith. Billy, talk about your, your guy, Gerald Everett, and defend yeah, him you, as more than just a jag. You know it's Gerald Everett. It breaks down to, again, volume. I mean, Justin Herbert threw the ball 699 times last year, and he had a broken rib and a hurt shoulder. He threw the ball 672 times in 2021. Gerald Everett isn't by any means like the best tight end out there. But when you have this type of volume, um, even at like a 12, 13% target share, you're talking about 80 plus targets. And so uh, we can just hope that he'll hold on to the ball because he has a lot of drops. Um, but if he can m- reduce those drops, 80 plus targets in an offense like the Chargers, who I am really high on this year in general with Kellen Moore um, coming over from Dallas, I think that. He's in a position to succeed and has every opportunity to, again, outproduce ADP. A quick, quick around the horn. Are we in or out on Mike Trusecki as a sleeper at tight end 21? Matt? Out. Dan? In. Billy? In. 12 personnel incoming into New England. Yes. I'll go, I'll go in as well. He's interesting to me. Uh, guys, Michael Mayer. Goes off the board, tight end 22. Trey McBride goes off the, the board, tight end 23. This seems like a major misprice. Are you in on either one of these two guys, Matt? And if Trey so, McBride's, which one? Trey McBride is only if I have Kyler Murray. Um, and even then, it's not a must. Uh, I like Michael Mayer now because of the dip after the Jimmy Garoppolo foot surgery news. Even so, I have trouble buying him because... I'm buying a lot more Hayden Hurst down in that range. And I'm buying the other Patriots tight end that we didn't get to Hunter Henry, who is the biggest sleeper at the entire position. Dan mayor yeah. McBride. Um, probably McBride um, mayor. I, I, it's funny that Matt said that because I said, basically he is Hunter Henry, uh, you know, just as a rookie, but um, he's, I think he's going to be just fine, but I don't see a path to huge volume. It's just, you know, the, the Vegas offense, I don't think is going to be very good this year. Uh, you know, I, neither is Arizona, but uh, McBride, I think, you know, just with the extra year in the league, I'll, I'll go ahead and take him on that alone. Yeah, for me, I think Trey McBride's interesting because the, 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 target, the target pecking order in Arizona is somewhat undecided, and I think Trey McBride could end up beating his, you know, his tight end 22 finish. Now, can he beat it in an impactful way? I'm not sure, but I think that that is in the range of outcomes. Uh, Billy, Michael Mayer or Trey McBride? Pretty easily Trey McBride for me. Again, it's just another year as as a tight end inside the NFL. I could also see a scenario where um, the Cardinals could potentially trade Zach Ertz once he's fully healthy and they see a team that is in need of a tight end, which would further open more target share for this team. We saw DeAndre Hopkins just leave. That was 22% of the target share. So there is just a, a better path to success here for McBride. And we expect this team to be bad. We expect them to throw a lot, regardless of who's playing quarterback this year. And so I'll lean Trey McBride here. And I'll say Mayer, I, I think he's the kind of guy that's going to get drafted and the beginning of the year will be a little bit slow out the gate. He could be the kind of guy that's a, a waiver wire pickup that ends up hitting on the second half of the year because I do believe in the talent kind of like we saw with Muth, his, his rookie season. Uh, and guys, we want to, every single year, we see undrafted tight ends that have fantasy viability. Last year, Tyler Conklin, 
Jawan Johnson, Chigakakwo, Taysom Hill were all players that had impactful stretches that helped our fantasy teams. And in previous seasons, guys like Dalton Schultz and Robert Tunyon made real impacts with top six finishes off the waiver wire. Uh, this can be invaluable, especially, especially to tight end premium drafters. Matt, who are some guys that you think are going to be are getting drafted way too low that could end up being like waiver wire pickups the, after that first week that people are like, why didn't I just draft this guy? Um, I mentioned Hunter Henry. I think that's just a best ball play. Hayden Hurst for me is the guy for redraft lineup setting that is going to get picked up off of waivers. Or if you play in my league, you're going to be like, crap, how did he know about Hayden Hurst? The guy <laughs> signed a three-year deal worth more than $7 million per year with the Panthers this offseason. He has a path to at least be second on that team in targets and really has the exact same path that Billy laid out for Dalton Schultz, but in Carolina. Uh, maybe first, like I said, if Adam Thielen goes down for that team, two top 18 PPR finishes behind him already with different teams. So we know that he can reach that level. And Hayden Hurst has not been as good as the Ravens thought he was going to be when they drafted him. But he's at least talented enough that the Ravens drafted him in round one. The Falcons traded a second round pick for him. And now the Panthers gave him this big contract this offseason. So he's at least a decent pass catcher. He's in a great spot for target upside. If you believe in Bryce Young then you should be buying Hayden Hurst wherever you can right now. I'm taking some shots on Jelani Woods. I think he could end up being a guy who breaks out slightly in year two. He's a little bit touchdown dependent, but I'm interested to see how he is in like with a, with a running quarterback behind center. Things could open up in the red zone, and I think he could be the guy at the end of the year. You say, oh, you know, Jelani Woods, he ended up with like seven touchdown catches, uh, and he ended up you know, being a guy that you could plug in certain weeks. I think he's the kind of guy that could be ended up being a waiver wire pickup. I liked him as a prospect, and right now the price is absolutely right. Dan? Yeah, um, definitely in on Hurst. Um, I'm I'm getting some woods as well. I'm not quite as high on him as Hurst, but uh, Tyler Conklin, he's he's somebody I've been getting a lot of. Um, Aaron Rodgers can definitely throw a lot of tight ends to the – or touchdowns to the tight end if he wants to. Um, So I think he's worth gambling on. And then I like – I don't like drafting Tampa Bay players, but when I do, I draft him late and Kate Otten kind of fills the bill. Um, he's somebody I think who showed some talent last year, uh, showed some chemistry with Brady. If he can develop some kind of chemistry with uh, it, whoever, you know, whichever guy ends up starting at quarterback down there, um, he could be worthwhile as well. So um, he's another one that I take uh, every now and then late. I think Baker Mayfield flunked chemistry. <laughs> Baker Mayfield you might be right. Yeah. However, Kyle Trask is like hold my beer. So, <laughs> Billy, give us give us your late tight end gem. So you got I literally had four names. You guys picked them all, but let's. I'm going to go super deep, like dumpster diving here, and this is not even on anybody's radar, but it's something I'm going to keep an eye out for camp, and that is going to be Elijah Higgins over in Miami. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's super, like he goes undrafted and like everywhere and he's actually converted receiver, but there's nobody there. Like, in, in, unless you count Durham Smythe, uh, I don't even know if that's his, how you pronounce his last name correctly, but it, no, to me, very good. Well, <laughs> you skipped a Conquo, but Smythe, you did all right with, <laughs> I don't, I just don't try with names. Um, I, I understand that this offense is going to be ran through, or as you say, you're thrown to Tyreek Hill and Waddle, probably see 55, 60% of the target share between between these two. Um, but we, I would expect the tight end, one of these tight ends at least to come forward and with how much this offense is going to be spread with the speed 
because now we have a chain with the speed. We could potentially have Cook over there. Um, we have Tyreek and Waddle split in the field. That's going to leave a lot through the middle with with the tight end. And I think that um, the receiving background that Higgins has, um, he could be a potential sleeper in late drafts. Um, unfortunately, Dario brought to my attention yesterday is that underdog actually doesn't even have him as tight end yet. He still has a receiver. Um, but if you are able to capitalize on him as a tight end late, late, late in drafts, um, he's been one of my go-tos, in, at least in Dynasty. Rapid fire, which Dallas tight end leads them in fantasy points this year, starting with Matt? <laughs> uh, Jake Ferguson, I guess. <laughs> Dan? Jake Ferguson. Billy? Uh, I, this is where I'm going to stray away as his shoemaker. I'll say Ferguson. We hit an hour and 18 minutes, guys, and this was not by design. We just, it was so good today diving into the tight end position with you guys. Uh, Matt, let everybody know where they can find you. DraftSharks.com, like we talked about, player profiles, early rankings, um, podcasts, whatever you want there. You can find me on Twitter too, at ShaufDS. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been fun talking. This was super fun. Dan, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me on. This was great and uh, you can find me on the goat district podcast um i'm also usually hanging around on twitter uh, at overhyped sleeper drop that final e from sleeper and uh, other than that yeah uh, you'll you'll catch me again on wednesday nights here on the goat district and uh other nights on the goat district podcast network and a big shout out to matt and dan who are both contributors to the player Pro- profiler world famous draft kit uh, you got to check that one out. You can see a little bit more of these guys. Both did a tremendous job with their entries. Uh, Billy, what's going on tomorrow? Are you doing a Dominator? No, Dominator's going to be moving to Sunday, actually. Okay. It just fits the schedule better. Like like to be able to kind of record, relax, and not feel pressured at the end of a, a long business day. And so um, we had you know quite a bit of success doing it last week. Um, and so I'm going to be recording with Jack Stalcone, uploading that. So it will not be live. It'll be uploaded. Uh, just so our schedules can can, can meet. Um, and then, um, and I'm also I'm heading off to the FSGA on Sunday morning, so uh, it has to be uploaded. But um, yeah, that's what's coming up. We had the Dominate, or not Dominate, we had Man vs. Machine yesterday, also pre-recorded. I'm going to finish editing that today, hopefully upload it for tomorrow, and we'll rock and roll from there. Awesome. Looking forward to those ones. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. We have Scott Connor on next week on First Class Fantasy. Uh, We've got some great guests lined up for the rest of the summer. Stick with us all summer. We're going to help you win your leagues. And everybody have a great rest of their uh, afternoon and early evening. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.